guys are like his face is cut off a little bit. I don't know if you want to get a little closer or not, but I'm just just saying. <laughs> it matters to Chris. All the little details. Well, I, yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll try not to come up this way. I don't like talking to children. Yeah, I mean that that should work. Because uh, last time I really liked how the cameras were with Jeremy, like just straight on each other's faces. So yeah, post to this. You should be a producer in the next life. For those <laughs> for those of you that don't know, Chris spends 15, 20 minutes getting all the camera angles set up, all the lighting right. And these two are just bitching about how my light is not bright enough or it's not warm enough. <laughs> it has harsh shadows. Right, so, that's right. Yeah. I didn't know people watched podcasts more than they listened to them. So. Oh, do you watch the Exodus one? It's good to know. No, I don't watch it. I just oh. put it on my car and I listen to it on my way home. Why don't we have it up? I guarantee you, not a single person watches us. No, I've watched you. Yeah, on we the have, podcast. Yes. Watch the video. Yeah, yeah, we have watchers. I'm telling you, we do. How do you know we have watchers? No, we have listeners. No, it shows watchers. It shows watchers. How does Spotify know if their eyes are glued to the screen? That they don't. But we That's do. My point. But there is data. I don't know where it's Anyways, coming. what episode is this? Eleven. Okay. Well, welcome, guys. We have a good friend of mine, and uh, a good friend of Chris Isaacs. Now, I think you two are buddies of pattern these days, right? I know we are since you left us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got Chris Tober with us. Um, I texted him on Sunday. Was it Sunday? Mm-hmm. So I gave you two days' notice. That's pretty good for me. Yeah. yeah texted him on Sunday yeah. asking if he wanted to come on the podcast. We've been trying to get him on for a few weeks. He uh, declined us last week. Had too many things going on. Busy, Busy guy. Yeah. Um, but we're finally getting to it. And it's it's a much-needed conversation. Chris is one of the... I mean, I don't want to make his head too big, but one of the deepest thinkers that I know, and I think that the reason me and him hit it off so much is because of the way that he challenged me to think when I first met him. And kind of a funny story, actually, for those of you that even care to listen to this, but we first met in San Diego, and we were introduced by like a common friend, one of my friends, Josh, texted me and said, hey, I think Christian Tober just moved out to San Diego. You should text him. You should hit him up. And I was like, nah. I don't want to, like, kid's probably a douche, like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't know why I had that perception of you, maybe it was because you were Utah, and I was from California, and people from California think they're better than people from Utah, but, <laughs> um, anyways, I, I kind of, like, battled it, and I think, was it, was it me that texted you first? Did you reach out to me first? I don't even remember who texted me uh, first. I, I think you might have. Um, I think it was I, me first. I, but I think Josh probably texted you multiple times, is that you? He, he did. Yeah, he did. He was looking out for me. Josh is a, Josh is a great networker. Um, so anyways, I, I texted Chris. I think the first time we met up was at dinner at their place, at their apartment, right? Yeah, so you guys have never met before? I mean, we knew of each other, but we never really technically played on the same team. Oh. I think when I came home from my mission, he was going out on his mission. Right? That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he actually hit me up and asked if I could get him to University of San Diego because I knew the head coach out there. Mm-hmm. And so I just made a call to my old club coach. I was like, hey, I've got a buddy who wants to come play for you guys. He's good. I got a douche. That's great. <laughs> well, I, I was doing him a favor, right? He was a BYU soccer player and alum. So I did him a favor. And then I was like, yeah, I don't really care to get to know this guy. And I finally did. And anyways, it turns out to be one of my best friends. So glad I sent that text and took the leap of faith. So here we are. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm a watcher, maybe one of the few. Sounds like that actually watches. Yeah, a watcher and a grower. 
Yes, Matron Grover, thank you. Uh, Chris's mom's not going to like that one. She won't get it. Anyways. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we could talk for hours just about random things. I think what the plan today was to chat about a conversation me and you had up at Camus, actually, for the first time. We were up at a cabin, and Chris dropped this bomb on me um, while we were up there about ritual, ceremony, covenants and kind of his ideas behind all of that and so I don't, I don't know what you want to do i don't know if you want to give like some backdrop or some context to that conversation or if you prefer me to do it either way works uh either way um you want me to do it yeah okay. yeah. yeah so hmm, let me start with that so i think probably just some back background information is probably required around the to figure out why I started thinking about this. So I was raised by an attorney similar to Dallin. And me. And you as well? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. It's interesting. So I was I was raised to um think about like agreements like very mm -hmm. carefully. Um in fact if I ever had to like borrow a car, even it was like my dad's car, if I was gonna take it to like St. George or something, he would give me a written contract and I'd have to read through the terms of the contract, and then I'd have to sign it, and I would have to abide by it. Wow. And That's hardcore. That is. I've hardcore. never had to do that. Me either. Con contracts for all sorts of stuff. Um, and, and he wasn't like a, he wasn't a Nazi about it. It was just like, he he believed in this. Like He believed in like agreements. Yeah. And so I, from a young age, came to, like, I read every line, maybe not like Apple's terms of service, but I read <laughs> every line of like any contract I'm about to sign. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, growing up and understanding what agreements mean um, and sort of and how they buy, like the binding nature of an agreement has been like an important um, thing for me. So in the context of covenants and rituals, the discussion we have with Camus, I think we were talking a lot about the temple um, rituals and the temple covenants that we make in the church. I was raised, I was raised in the church, um, grew up in, in Utah, like Dallin said, um, and my first in my first uh, engagement with like temple covenants was before the mission, like most young men. Um, I had been introduced to the temple idea by like a a uh, class at church. It was like a temple prep class, yeah. and so I went. I would go over to the to my to the meeting house like once a week, and there was like a older gentleman who would give this these classes about what the temple was and what sort of went on inside. Um, but the what, what was what happened was when I went. No amount of preparation could have prepared me for it. You guys probably felt similarly to that, and to some degree, I don't. I don't blame that on like the class, right? But yeah. I had a I had the unique experience of feeling a little bit let down um, when it came to my understanding of the covenants um, beforehand. So that was like a central part. Um, I couldn't figure at the time. I I didn't understand why I didn't like it. I after I went through the temple, I talked to people who said that they had similar experiences. But the, the experiences, as they told me, it wasn't the same reason that they felt uncomfortable. And I couldn't figure out why, why, don't, why do I not feel uh, comfortable in the same ways that these other people didn't feel. For a lot of people, it was like maybe just visually things were different than they were expecting. Or um, it took really long. Or all their family was there. And it was kind of like a weird experience. None of those things necessarily mattered to me. What really, um, what wasn't a good experience for me was this, this, uh, going into it without any prior knowledge mm. without going kind of i felt like i was sailing on a boat into darkness and 
um, when you go into the temple, I think this is, you know, common knowledge for most people. It's like, you're given a chance basically to leave if you'd like. Um, and to me, I didn't, I don't feel like that was entirely a real choice. It, it felt like a propped up choice because I had family from all over the place who'd come for one. So I was under that pressure. Right. Yeah. Um, and two, how could I, how could I leave? Because I didn't even know what was starting. It's like, it's like, um, the way I would describe it is like, you're going to make a business deal and you get to the receptions, like the reception desk and the secretary is like, Hey, um, before you go in there, do you want to make this deal or not? It's like, yeah, that's interesting. It's like, well, what deal can, can I find out like what the deal is? And I knew only in like super generalities. What I, what I knew was that I was going to make covenants with God that would show him that I loved him. But I knew that, but I knew they were binding. And that word binding meant something to me again, because I had grown up with binding agreements. And so I didn't leave. I went through with the, with the, um, the ritual. And there was another point that was frustrating to me that we can come back and talk to talk about later. But I couldn't figure out why this nodded me for for so long. Um, I went on the mission. It just bothered me. But we didn't have temple, a temple in my mission, so I never went back. So I kind of oh. stewed on this after like two years. Like one experience. So I only went once. I only went once, and then I had two years to think about it. And <laughs> then when I went back, I, I it like hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't know if it was the two years of just like wising up, but it hit me like a ton of bricks why this was bothering me. And I started doing research about agreements and I started doing, uh, I started asking people about agreements kind of without telling them why I'd be like, Hey dad, like, you know, in your law business, like if somebody um, doesn't know what the terms of a contract before they sign it are like, is that a valid contract? He's like, of course not. Um, questions like that, where I would ask people and I'm like, how does this, how do, how do I square this with like my experience? Um, so yeah, curious for your guys' thoughts. I feel like I'm talking a lot, but that's that's the general gist. Was that there's a few things that I feel like are missing from the temple experience that to me would have made it powerful. One is that um, there wasn't a lot of like information or like consent as to like what the agreement was, and I don't think that's even like a, I wanted that for me. I think that's what God wants. So I, I I sort of reject the notion that and I'm sure we'll get into this, but like, I feel like the thing that God wants us to give is our own volition. He wants us to choose. That's in fact, the only thing that, yeah. that, that he can't already have from us. Like he gives us everything else. The only thing he doesn't have is like what we choose, if we'll choose him. So to me, it doesn't make sense why he would um, like essentially strong arm us, you know, because the other thing is like, it's kind of under duress. So like in my, in my case, it was with all the family there. Yeah. That's sort of, you're sort of under duress in that situation. So, Curious for your guys' thoughts. That that was kind of the first point of why I had such a hard time with uh, covenants and yeah. my first exposure to them. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Honestly, maybe not necessarily the like the contractual obligation, but that might be eye opening to them. And maybe that's why some people have uh, they just they don't like it uh, for whatever reason. Um, if you had prior knowledge, or at least if you knew the covenants that you were going to be making, which I would say the church has definitely changed, at least from even us going through to now, like how there's only really a couple things that we can't talk about because we covenant not to. But the other things like what we covenant is talked about. Like I've had a couple of Sunday school classes this last year where we literally just went through like obedience, law, chastity, like all those types of things. Yeah. So if you had known those things beforehand do you think 
And if people did know beforehand, would that like it feels like at that point then it's satisfied, right? Like that that portion is definitely satisfied. Like in it that was my only qualm with that with that part of it. Um there was another the, the other piece is that when I, I felt like at like the and I think I told you this in Canvas, like the pinnacle of my covenant making experience journey in the church. Um and I hope you know I'm not oversharing for this audience, but is is who you who you covenant with exactly, right? And it's it's actually not God, in, in, at least in my case, when I went through, it was the church. And for me, that was like this ton of bricks that came crashing down. Because I was like, I'm hanging on every word, right? And um, I'm committing, I commit myself and my time to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, yeah. And that was like a ton of bricks. Because Why? I thought I was there, again, kind of to the, the prior agreement. I thought I was there to covenant with God and Him alone. And I've always, I've always been a fan of like Luther and this, this idea that like that man can have a personal relationship with God, and he, he, you know, there doesn't have to be these. And I think there's values in an or, uh, value in an organization, but the agreement really is between me and God, isn't it? It's like isn't that isn't that what the covenant is though? It's yeah. with God to give all your time and attention and to the church. Well, maybe. I mean, it's been years since then, so I, I, I'm, I'm curious to, to know. Um, I don't know if we can go through like the exact wording. Maybe, maybe we can. But I'll bring it up. <laughs> just kidding. But, 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 but when I went through, that's the that's that's the way that I interpret it. Um, uh-huh. Maybe it does say like to God to do this, but in that to to me that was like to me the covenant didn't center on I'm doing all these things. I'm not committing my time and my resources and everything to God. It was like. I'm actually marrying myself to an organization. And I thought I was there to marry myself to God. Like, that's kind of what I was preparing for. Yeah. So that was the second part where, like, the words mattered to me. And yeah. um, that was, like, my reaction was just, like, um, feeling like it was close, but it was, like, misplaced. What I wanted to do with God, it was close, but it wasn't exactly. And, and maybe that's irrelevant, like, what exactly we want. You know, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that. but. Um, I've thought a lot about it over the years and to me, um, in that way, I feel like to your point of like, would you go now that you know, would you, would would you go and like, would it satisfy those conditions now that I do know, and I want it, if I wanted to go to the temple and like make those, I feel that it would be for the first time, like the first time, the first time in what I consider to be like, like informed consent um under like a real understanding of what i'm going to do and i think that would satisfy god more than what i did the first time when i was 18 like i think if i were to go again this time god would would it would be a real agreement and it would be binding um in a way that i just don't feel that my first one was yeah um yeah it's dude i have so many thoughts going through my head right now um I don't even know where to start, but I would say, well, let me back up really quickly. So like for those of you that who may be listening that don't have any idea like how Mormonism works, there are certain covenants and promises. First of all, a covenant is a, is a promise that we make with God. God sets the conditions. We agree to abide by, abide by those conditions and then he agrees to bless us, right? So there are certain covenants and promises within Christianity, and there are certain covenants and promises that are pretty specific to like Mormonism, I guess is the right term that I could use, even though 
some people might not be too jazzed that I'm using the term Mormon, but one of them is baptism, right? We covenant with God to, you know, take upon the name of Jesus Christ when we're baptized and always be a witness for him. That usually takes place at eight, eight years old. That in and of itself, in my opinion, is a little too early. I don't remember my baptism. I don't remember the ritual. I don't remember the ceremony. Like what, at the time, did it mean something to me? I'm sure it did, right? Because people make a big deal about it. It's like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do the right thing. But it's also like, I want to do what my family wants. I want my family to be proud of me, you know? Yeah. Like there's, there's an element to that. So that's the first covenant that we make with God. It's eight years old, typically in the Mormon religion. And then um, when you're getting ready to go to the temple, there's not a lot of talk or chatter about what goes on in the temple within the Mormon religion. Could you find it on YouTube? Sure. We are heavily discouraged to do like any real outside research because any kind of content that's coming about the temple from like outside the Mormon religion is usually anti-related. And so church leaders typically are like, ah, steer clear of that, right? So there are temple prep classes that can prepare us to go into the temple. But Chris is right. Like for the most part, we don't really talk specifically about terminology or specifically what we will be covenanting or doing specifically in the temple because like for me it was a similar experience I, I i feel like i felt a little bit more prepared than chris did but it's like i still went in a little bit blind like okay i'm gonna make more promises to god but like what specifically all that will entail i'm not really sure until i get in there and then there is that element of like my entire family was there, you know, like yeah. if I wanted to say no, would I would like, I, of course I have the choice to, right. But yeah. there are, there are different degrees of choice. I would say there's cho like pure intentional choice. There's choice under duress that, I mean, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I'm curious. Well, let me read this quote really quickly, and then maybe we can discuss what it means in this context. But this was from a YouTube video that I was listening to on the way home from work today with Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, and a few others. <clears throat> I actually don't remember who said this, but some, some guy brings this up, and he talks about something that Aristotle said. And he says that the choices... Uh, he says that choices are more influential over our character than actions. So choices versus actions. So choices are more influential over our character than actions. It's not what you do. It's what you choose to do and the reasons why you choose it. What do you think about that? It's a great, it's a great quote. And I actually think that the way that Jordan Peterson interpreted it was not how the guy was intending it to. Jordan's like, well, what, how do we distinguish between a choice and an action, right? Like our actions are almost, they are choices. They are choices. And a lot of the times, a lot of our actions are not even thought about or cognizant. But I think what this guy's trying to say is like our intent, like our intentional choices are a lot more important than, uh, than, um, like mundane actions, which I a hundred percent agree with. Like if you're going to church or even going to the temple or doing anything spiritual just with the sake of it being a ritual thing without any intentionality behind it, other than just checking the box. I really don't think there's much to be gleaned from it and much to really come from it. I do think that there is some value in it, but not the point of it. I think you're missing it. And so I do think that like intentional choices absolutely matter more than just actions like loving your wife 
or loving the savior, right? Like you can, you can say that by sense, like the action of saying, I love Christ, but like, what are you choosing to do every day to show that, that action, to show that uh, thought or behavior? And so I, that's what I get from that quote. Yeah. I think he even takes a step further though, because, um, like he gives the example of someone choosing to walk across the desert, mm-hmm. right? Let's say that someone, I don't know, offers you $1,000 to walk across the desert and you choose to walk across the desert. Your reason for doing so is probably motivated by many reasons, but the primary reason might be to win that $1,000. Let's say there's someone else who is not offered $1,000 and they just want to walk across the desert because they want to prove to themselves that they have the physical ability to do so, right? And then Jordan Peterson, he breaks it down even further and he says there are, it's like a conglomerate of actions or choices. It's not just a choice to walk across the desert. It is a choice every day and every second and every step to lift your foot up and walk across that desert. And so certainly throughout the process of walking across the desert, you're not actively saying, okay, I'm choosing to take this step. I'm choosing to take this step, right? But there have to be moments in that journey where you are like, shit, this is not what I want to be doing. I am just going to quit and I'm going to go back to the car and I'm going to drive the rest of the way. Or I am really, really hot and this hurts and I don't want to do this, right? So there are moments where you can, um, I don't know, choose to do something rather than just like going through the motions of committing an action. Right. And I, and, and to be fair, like, I think that's a huge qualm I have with organized religion is like to, <laughs> to use a scripture that is almost used in an opposite way. Uh, what is, what does Nephi say about like lull, the devil lulls us into carnal security or yeah with every whatever it is yeah i can't remember the exact scripture but he uses the word lull like you lull a baby to sleep right yeah and i i feel i felt like that when i was like actively going to church participating like uh you know elders corn president would you know like i felt like i was getting lulled by a lot of these rituals and these ordinances into just pure action and i was forgetting the intentionality behind you know, why we're doing these things. And so in a way, like taking a step back sometimes, like, like even with garments, you know, we've had this conversation. Yeah. Right? When you put your garments on every single day, it almost is just like, okay, I just put on my underwear, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, I recently, maybe this is too much to share, but I don't mind sharing it, but feel free to judge me. I, I wear them one time a week. I put them on every Sunday before I go to church. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's almost like that action has like come alive. You know, I remember intentionally, okay, this is very different. Sunday is very different. I'm going to church and it reminds me of certain promises that I made to God, right? There's, there's symbolism behind it. And, and I, I, that's not to say that you probably couldn't get that every single day. Yeah. I'm sure you could. I think that would be the, yeah. But Anyways, so th- those are those are kind of my thoughts on consent, um, intention, choice, and action. I think that there are a lot of themes in there that we can unpack relating to your story. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I think I think the whole idea of a covenant, right? Even one we make with ourselves, is like founded on this idea that uh, I may want something right now, 
but I will change. I could change my mind, and therefore I need to be bound by something. Like I have to have the foresight to see what I want ahead of time, recognizing that I will want to change my mind, but I I will be bound by this agreement. So I I was thinking like a guy walking across the desert. Like what if he promised to his daughter that he would do it? Yeah. Like think about how much more empowered you are with every step, even when you don't want to do it. You have this bound, like this binding. Your word is your is your what what is it? Your word is your bond. Yeah. Your word is your bond, and it's like it empower. There's something about an agreement that empowers you. So I I love the idea. But but dude, to to like take your step even further. Let's say that you promised someone else's. <clears throat> you don't have that connection. You don't have that relationship with that person. Is it as binding as your own daughter? This this is my point. To me. Bind, the binding with the church also was like that that's not that wasn't like the it wasn't my daughter yeah. it wasn't where my allegiance was your love your loyalty yeah so that, that's that's that was a good way of describing kind of how i felt about it mm-hmm. is i felt like the the um like the nucleus of the agreement that i needed that i would need to 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 help me withstand everything was like misplaced a little bit um for for me and like for a lot, I've, I've talked to many people about it, and for a lot of people, and I I respect this. It's like to them, it's, it's it feels one and the same. It doesn't feel they don't feel this dichotomy. Um, they don't feel a separation there um, between the church and God. Between the church and God, for them, for them, they feel perfectly comfortable making that commitment because to them, it encapsulates like that is where their allegiance is. You know what I mean? It's one and the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, you're kind of blowing my mind. Uh, I just had like an epiphany that I never ever realized, ever like on off of your analogy. Like I taught it on my mission, and I believe it as a principle. But like this idea that covenants empower you, I was like, okay, what is it about a covenant that's so empowering? Like, is there a specific mysterious power that is like driving my behind me when I like? Hey God, I'm promising you yeah. to do this, right? Yeah. But like from a, a father's perspective, when you gave the example of your daughter, if I promise my son or my wife that I'm going to do something, that is way more empowering than if I promise my boss to do something or if I promise some random person on the street to mm-hmm. do something. Yeah. So what does that imply for covenants? In my mind, if you don't have a relationship with the person that you are covenanting with, and that person doesn't mean anything to you, the, the, the covenant is a lot less powerful to the point that, you know, if you don't have a relationship or you don't, or you don't know who God is, or you just like say that you know who God is and you don't like have a true relationship with him to some extent, then yeah, why would you want to keep your promises? He means nothing to you. Yeah. You know, so if, if I, I don't know, that's, that's so interesting. I'm, I'm glad you gave me that analogy because anyways, yeah. <laughs> Mind yeah. blown, bro. That's, well, that's yeah. great. Great but stuff. I think that's part of the reason why God has them, right? Is because I think God knows that life is difficult and he knows that tra- travailing through the wilderness is very hard. And so as a way to empower us, he gives us covenants within to make us go through life with faith more strongly than if we were to just go through it without, right? And so I, you're exactly right. I And I can see your like dichotomy between Christ and, and the church. Like I, I fully get that. But I think the whole point of why we go to the temple and like what we ought to be teaching the youth and whatever is like you need. And what I think president Nelson is really trying to do 
is you need to have a deep personal relationship with the Savior, like period. And when you do that, you naturally want to covenant with them like your wife, right? Like you love your wife so much. I want to tell the whole world through a covenant of marriage that you're the person I want to be with throughout all of life, through all the hardships, like I'm covenanting with you to show that love. And I think that's the whole point with Christ, with these covenants, is for us to do this. Well, dude, hold on, hold on, hold on, back up. Because you're you're jumping the gun, in my opinion. There's the formalization of a marriage, and then there's the covenant part. Yeah. What, what's the difference, in your opinion? Because I don't have to get married to someone. I don't have to get married to someone to, like, really covenants. So what what is the purpose? You, you, you kind of equated, like, marriage and covenant as one of the marriage same. Marriage is a covenant. Uh, with the person with marriage as a, as a ceremony i mean uh i mean i mean there's marriage as in the piece of paper is that what you're talking about versus marriage as in like that what's the difference I do. well th this is curious like where does the ritual call it's called the wedding ceremony where you get for you swap rings you know like what does that have to do with the covenant because i feel like that that ritual is like wedged in the middle you know of like my feelings and this covenant and then there's like this physical action like doesn't matter yeah. Like, does the wedding ceremony actually matter? I mean, I think it does societally. I mean, I think that that's, at least in our marriages, we when we covenant, we're not just covenanting in front of God, we're covenanting in front of angels and these witnesses, mm -hmm. right? And so I think there is value in social contracts of, yeah, I am agreeing to this, and here are people to prove that I'm agreeing to it. Because yeah. otherwise, there's cases of abandonment, right? Where, well, I never married her, I never promised that, but... Yeah. So I think that that is an added pressure. And so, it's, added, it's, so it sounds know. sounds like for accountability reasons. Uh, yeah, and also empowerment too, right? Like I covenanted with my wife's, with my Okay, yeah, from an accountability standpoint, the accountability empowers it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems to me that, you know. That, does that answer though? I'm not, it was an open-ended question. I don't, I don't think I have an answer to it. Yeah, it seems to me that, um, you know, you said societally it matters, right? You need the piece of paper, you need the government's like putting the stamp of approval. This is a marriage, right? So, well, do you agree? I, I mean, I don't know how the government per se, but like, like the government said, is a representation of a mass society. So like, but anyways, like that's, I think societally or in front of other people, there's an element of importance for us humans. Have witnesses. Have witnesses. Okay, so there's the witness part. There's also the authority part, I would imagine, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think where me and you would differ, well, I, my, my mind isn't made up. I know your mind is made up, but on the authority part, right? Like, does God need a certain people in a certain church to give their stamp of approval on these ordinances and these rules <laughs> in order for them to be binding? I question that. Yeah. I know what the church's stance is on that, but um, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that I believe that covenants and ordinances are powerful. But like, if if God, if if we're in the system of God or the ecosystem of God, at the end of the day, if it's a covenant between him, he and he, me and him, then he is the final authority figure that gets to give a stamp of approval. Yeah. Right. I agree. I just believe that. You know, there's, there's, it, it almost seems to me like priesthood authority is just this arbitrary power that really I believe everyone has access to through prayer. Like, I, I don't, we're getting back to like the earlier episodes yeah. and yeah. trying to resolve things that maybe went unresolved, but I, uh, 
it just, yeah, it comes back to that question. Like what's the difference between a prayer and what's the difference between like a priesthood blessing, you know? Yeah. If there's no difference, I don't see. Well, you just said yourself though, that like the one thing that matters is God's approval of the covenant between you and him. Right. And so that's what the priesthood is in lieu of, right? Is that approval. Yeah. But I just, so you call you can call it priesthood. God's I think, I think power. Yeah. I think, uh, Protestants call it God's power. And, you know, I met many Protestants in my mission who said, well, I can be a prophet. Yeah. And I was, I always laughed at them. I was like, no, you can't, no, you can't. I know more than you. And, <laughs> and, now, and now I wonder like, uh, am I a prophet? <laughs> what, is, what is a prophet? Sometimes he acts like it's <laughs> anyone that, that speaks by the gift of prophecy, right? We're doing a strict definition. So anyways, um, any anything else to unpack on this before we move on? Because there there is one other like part to your story that I want to get to. Only the thing I was thinking about was like I've thought a lot about like covenants with self. That's like a super fascination of mine. I have this theory, and I don't know exactly why, but like growing up Mormon and like understanding the power, like our society, Mormon societies are run by these covenants. Like yeah. these agreements we make are incredibly strong. And I've always had this theory that like if I can unlock myself, it's going to be because I figure out how to covenant with myself. Um, so I've, I sort of played around after I was like thinking about something, I started forming like my own, like I would covenant something with myself and I would like make a, an, like an associated ri ritual. Yeah. I don't want this to sound like blasphemy to people, but like, no, it's like goal setting. So you're a witch. <laughs> Precisely. See no, but, but I was playing, I was trying to play with like this power, right? Like, did, am I more motivated? Is it like, is there some sort of empowerment there? And it's really interesting because what you said about like you have to love or have your allegiance has to be with the person you're covenanting with, right? So if it's yourself, I've, I've found this like direct correlation between like my ability to like love and respect myself and my ability to keep promises to myself. So if, like if I don't, if I don't love myself, then I'm not going to keep promises to myself and vice versa. When I keep promises to myself, it like, it's like reaffirming, like, um, it is empowering. Like, it makes me feel more confident in myself. Whatever. So that's just like something aside. But um, is it safe to is it safe to say then with your theory? Because I think what would it would be implied by what you're saying is like a disciplined person is typically a confident person. Yeah. Or secure within themselves. I would argue. Yeah, I would say that discipline brings confidence. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. I still don't know exactly what role like ritual plays in that. Like for example, I went out. I you know cold plunging is such a, like happening at the moment, whatever. So a couple of years ago, I like I would I would go out and um I went out to this reservoir every day, like really early in the morning. And the ritual was supposed to be every day because it was going to remind myself of like the specific goal that I wanted to have. Like at the end of this time period, I wanted to do this, and so I would go out every day to remind myself. Um, and I kind of liked the, the whole cold plunge idea, I think because I didn't know anything, I didn't know what to do otherwise. Like baptism is such a good example. Like you go into the water and you come out somebody new. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to kind of hijack that whole idea, right? The whole like visual for myself because it's so real for me. Um, and I, I haven't like come to a conclusion exactly on like the, the ritual. Do you, do you, you know, does authority, I, I, I'm not sure on like some of these questions, but yeah. what I do know is that like I've tried it and there seems to be something about having a ritual that like somehow cements the covenant so yeah huh 
I mean, I, I can totally see the, I mean, you think of David Goggins and all these other, like, uh, I can't remember that army guy, but they, that's how they live their life. <laughs> I can't remember. What's his name? Uh, the little green ones in Toy Story? No. I know what he's talking about. Uh, Jocko? Yeah, Jocko. Yeah. Like, that's how they live their life, right? Is by these disciplines. I don't know if they have rituals per se, but like deep self-commitments to goals, right? And I think, you know, I think that's what God wants us to do. Like, I think God wants, I mean, let's be real. The whole point of this is to become like him, right? Like, that's at least what we believe. And so if we are to become like him, we need to be totally disciplined in being able to keep promises, not just to ourselves, but to other people. But I think if we can't keep promises to ourselves, like it's very difficult to make it to other people. Right. right. So I think that, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. And I think it's pretty cool. How does ritual play? I think that that is kind of the main difference between like, uh, like the priesthood authority, so to speak, is what is the difference between that and you know, a covenant with God is that element. But mm -hmm. I think that that's basically the exact same thing. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, to it, it would be a question that I had when you were talking about that, Chris, like making a covenant with yourself or making a covenant with God, <coughs> loving the other person on the other end that you're making the covenant with and, and having the sense of empowerment. The more you love that person, the more you have a relationship with that person. I think that's that's the ideal. That's what should be happening. Mm -hmm. Ought. That's what yeah. ought to be happening. But normatively speaking, what is actually happening, I think, might be a lot of what you experienced in the temple, where you have a lot of family around, a lot of friends, a lot of cultural pressures. This is what we do. This is how I make my dad happy. I'm making this covenant. And maybe like you have, like God is more of like an afterthought. Like, I think, like, you're intentionally thinking, okay, I'm making this covenant with God. And you understand that from a certain, like, academic standpoint. But, like, what is really going on underneath the surface? Are we making these covenants because we think it's the right thing to do? Like, I think that's a noble intention. But if we're talking about, like, hierarchies of the reasons we choose to do what we do, there are, there is a hierarchy. Yeah. Right, and the most noble one is because we love God. Yeah, and I can't say that like all of the covenants and promises that I made when I was a member were purely out of a reason because I loved God. A lot of it had to do with yeah. I just think this was the right thing to do. Like yeah. I, I want to be accepted by my peers. I want to go to church and feel normal or like accepted. Right, like mm -hmm. so. Anyways, it's it's a lot easier to say what the ideal is. It's a lot more difficult to really understand what's going on behind the scenes of mm -hmm. Chris's life and my life and your life. So yeah. I think just making that point that if the covenant, the promises that we do make to God, if they're not made because we love him, there's a lot of power that's lost within those covenants. I and almost, I don't know, I, I venture off to say become almost purposeless. Yeah. Well, in my mission, there was a, a, a lesson that was taught, like uh, DTM or ZTM, I can't remember. It's basically like a training that missions have like every month or six weeks. And it was like a hierarchy of, of obedience. And the bottom is like fear. Like a lot of times we keep book commandments out of fear. Um, and then the next is out of duty. And then the top, the pinnacle is love. 
And a lot of times, like a lot of us kind of start in that, like with parents, for example, like a lot of times kids may do something because they're scared of getting in trouble. Right. But eventually you want them to get to the love. And I think that it's really like this last weekend, I taught 12 year olds with my wife. She's a 12 year old teacher. And, uh, it answered a lot of questions that I've had from our discussions. Like, why don't we talk about certain things with the youth more often? And, you know, why, like, we should be talking about so much more things than what we talked about. But bro, trying to teach these 12 year olds, like, it was, like, I can see why we don't bring up blacks in the priesthood, because we can barely talk about the introduction of the Book of Mormon. Like that, like that in of itself is so hard for 12 year olds to like, just focus and sit and like, get and understand. So like, I feel like a lot of people like in our age, particularly, they grow up in the church and uh, they go on their missions and they, I think hopefully they have experiences with God and faith and that would give them reason to continue to believing in God. But when they get home and they're out of that routine, out of like, okay, you have to do this because that's the rules. You're in life and now you're choosing to do these things. And if you're choosing to do them out of fear or out of a duty, I think a lot of times you just end up stop doing them because the love is like why, like that's the real reason why people stay. And um, the whole point of I don't know, dude. I'm going to push back on that really quickly before you go any further because uh, scrupulosity or OCD, like there are the desire to be loved is an extremely strong desire. It is, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I think what happens, I'm not speaking for the general population of the church, although I would say that this is probably, it happens more often than it, than it doesn't. A lot of people act in a certain way and, and, and obey certain things because they want to be loved by the people around them more than they want to be loved by God. Sure. You know what I'm saying? And I would say that that's not the ultimate. Goal, right? Of course, it's not the ultimate yeah. goal. It creates huge issues. Yeah. It creates it creates allegiances that shouldn't be created, right? right? Like, Agreed. that's what this this huge problem is with, like conflating the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and we want to be involved with a tribe. Like, that's just innate with all of us. Like, we want to be accepted yeah. by people. We want to be loved by people. And so being part of a tribe and just like saying, okay, is the church true or is it not? It, it like almost becomes a tribe that we can be associated with. For sure. And if we reject any part of that tribe, then we're kicked out and then we lose all the love that we've accumulated our entire life and all of the culture that yeah. once surrounded us and gave us a lot of happiness and peace, right? Yeah. So it creates issues if like major, major issues if, because it's such, it, like to Chris's point, Covenants are such a powerful thing that if you're covenanting for the wrong reasons, it, it can mess you up, I think. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, that's why, I mean, I'm not in any way, shape, or form a perfect messenger of this. But I feel like what President Nelson would want, and at least my dad and a lot of other leaders, is like, if you, like, we need to con inform before people go make covenants. People need to understand, at least to some degree, what they're covenanting to do and why they're covenanting to do it. And if they don't, then don't go. Like, cause I think that like you're saying, I mean, that's, that's really easy for you to say, but like, think of that when you were 18, like well, imagine having that conversation with your parents. Honestly, dude, bro, I, I'm, I've had this conversation. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm just so worried about the time. I was, I've heard horror stories. 
I did as much research and beyond research, like I looked up videos and stuff, because I was so worried that I'm I would not blaming be, the church, by the way. Well, no, you're not. But like I, I talked to my cousins, I talked to my uncles, I talked to my parents, I talked to my bishop, my state president, so that I would not go in there being so scared that I would leave the church. Like I so I learned like what we covenanted. And to me, I actually I remember telling my dad I was underwhelmed because I thought it would be a lot. The only thing that kind of like I was, I legitimately was like, that's it. Like I was so worried for that, but like, I don't want to, you know, cast aspersions on anybody else that was thought it was overwhelming, but I like was OCD about it in the reverse. And so it was a very different experience for me because I was expecting this, like, like lamb being slaughtered on the altar. Right. Hold on, hold on, hold on really quickly. I, I just realized that you said this. The reason you did this is because you were scared. I was worried. You were worried that you yeah. were going to leave the church. I was worried. I, I was worried that I was going to Why were you worried that you were going to leave the church? Because I knew a lot of people that did after that. Okay, but why did that worry you? Well, because I, I loved the church. I love God. And I didn't want to leave. And so I was really worried. <laughs> okay, but are you seeing where I'm going with this? I mean, like in, in my, in, in, like when, maybe it's hard for you to realize that, but because you're the one saying it, but if you were scared to leave the church because you're going to go into the temple, like, in my opinion, why would you be scared of leaving the church if that's what it leads to? So, because other people did it. So you're conflating. Were they, were those people who did it, were they seen as like outside your tribe, kind of like they left the tribe? Well, I mean, maybe, but like, I still was friends with them. Okay. So that's, 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 that's my point, Chris. So like, even, even as 18 year old Chris, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but I'm not, not yeah, like, I criticizing you. I did the exact same thing, by the way, and I'm sure most people do it. But like you went because you knew it was the right thing to do. And like, like if, if you were afraid to leave the church, that, that to me, that's like a, that's like a red flag. It goes exactly, it like comes back to exactly what I was just talking about. Right. Do you, mm-hmm. do you not see that? Or? Well, I mean, yeah, but like, I guess that doesn't really totally bother me. Like it. Is it because you're, you, you, that hierarchy of obedience that you said fear is on there as some form of obedience? Is that why you feel like you're okay with that? Because it's like, well, you started somewhere from fear and you worked your way to love or whatever. Is that right? How? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like, I certainly don't think fear, we should start with fear. Sure. I'm just saying that there is an element to that for some people to be yeah. obedient, right? Like, and for better or worse, that is a motivator, but I don't think it should be the motivator. Yeah. Right. And there, there are, there's certainly not just one motivation or one intent for the reason that we do anything. There are multiple yeah, intentions. Very fascinating. So you may have made that choice to go to the temple because you loved God, but who knows where that sat in your hierarchy of intentions. That's, I guess that's the point that I'm trying to, to get at is like, what was priority number one for you? Was it fear of what people would think of you if you didn't make those covenants and, and how you would be outcasted and then you also did it because you love God? Or was it the opposite? That's that's yeah. the only point I'm trying to bring up is like, why are we doing the things that we're doing? And in Chris's sense, like his example brings up this, this story that I think we can all relate to that at one point we have done something within organized religion just because that's a cultural norm. It's, it's yeah. what we were expected to do. And it was like how we stayed in the tribe, you know, in good standing, right? Yeah. Doesn't mean that we can't do it, do that and love God at the same time. 100%. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
totally. That's that's the only thing I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, um, like for like the youth today and stuff, like, and you know, I, what, something I thought of when you when I first heard about this and when you're telling your story, like, I, I do wonder to what extent does God hold those people who are accountable to those covenants and to what degree when they really don't know what they're covenanting, right? Like, I think that there is some element of like, well, you didn't make a covenant, but I think God, knowing from what I know of God, he is a merciful God and he understands you perfectly. Like he, he knows where your heart is when you're making these covenants. And if you didn't have a chance to go back and you didn't, and you had two years to mull it over and everything, I feel like God would at least understand like, yeah, I get why you'd have questions. I get why this would bother you. And I, I think that like, I don't know, like, have you seen the movie Silence? Ever? No. It's an Andrew Garfield. Is it Andrew Garfield? Is he one of the Spider-Man? Yeah. Uh-huh. So there's a, there's a movie about this guy who's who's a Jesuit priest, and he goes to Japan in like the 1500s. Yeah. Um, it's a true story, right? It's a true story, yeah. And he's he's teaching the Japanese in a super hostile environment, like Christian. Any Christians that are found are killed. Right. Um, in like awful ways, and so he, it's a story about him kind of being. Um, taken in by this underground Christian movement and shuttled around while he's teaching, like, in secret. It's an incredible movie. Um, a lot of, like, you know, undertones and overtones about faith and, like, what it means to to believe in the covenant. But there's this one character in the show who... So when the Japanese find Christians, in order to, like, out them, they bring out this little, like, plaque. And it's, a, it's like, it's the Last Supper is, like, etched onto this plaque. You've got Christ and the apostles. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's Christ and Mary. I don't remember what it is. And he asks them to step on it or spit on it. So you have to step mm-hmm. on it. And if you don't do it, if you won't step on it, you're put to death, like, immediately. Mm-hmm. There's this awful scene where they go and they hang them on crosses out on the, like, in the beach where when it's low tide. And then high tide comes. And it's just, like, this awful, torturous experiment. It's why you're getting mm-hmm. pounded by waves mm-hmm. on the cross. And there's this one character, sorry to take this thing a long story, but there's this one character who he recommits like every time, but then he'll stomp on it because he doesn't want to die. So he'll, he'll commit and then he'll come and find Andrew Garfield, the priest again, and he'll confess. And he'll say like, I, I, I want to be better. I love God. I love, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And then every time he gets caught, he stomps on Christ and spits on him. And it's like this super powerful, evocative like experience as you watch him. Because you, you resent him for it, and then you recognize yourself immediately. Yeah. You recognize all the times that you stomp on your, on your own right. your own belief in Christ, right? Yeah. And at the end, I think, my I don't really remember what the end of the movie was, but my feeling at the end was like, it totally, the movie changed me, where at the beginning I thought he was a coward, and by the end I like kind of admired him, because every time he comes back. Um, yeah. So anyway, it was just your, your point about like being held accountable for the actions we take, right? Reminded yeah. me of him. Like, I wonder what matters more to God. Like that he's that he steps on the plate or that he's drawn back every time. Yeah. Um, and there's like some some element of like accountability and forgiveness there. That's interesting. I feel the same way. My to be honest, I don't recognize my first like and this is my just feeling about it, I don't recognize my first covenant making experience as binding. I just never have. It just I never felt it. And I thought if I go, like I said, if I go back again, I think it would have this binding quality to it. But to to your point, I'm not, I don't know exactly. Like I've lived by those, basically by those covenants. I haven't gone out and broken them. Um, 
but my feeling has been that like even if I did, I'm not sure that it would mean the you know the same thing as if I had known covenanted and it was binding for me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's part of the reason. I think that's actually the genius of the work for the dead, right? Like if there was no work for the dead, then we would never be baptized again. We would never go through the temple again. Like we would never like relearn or like go through that experience again, yeah. right? So I think that there's. I think that's part of the reason why we go back is to remember those things and mm-hmm. to learn more about them and to understand them better, right? Like, yeah. That's the purpose of ritual. Yeah. It's recurring. It's reminding. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good time right now to, I had a question for Chris. Maybe we, we listen to this clip first, but I'll, I'll set the context. So originally when you told me the story, Chris, um, I would have been like, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Like I, I think the informed consent going into these choices is 100% necessary. Um, And then I was listening to a clip, this clip by Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro, and he brings up, um, what is it, a scripture in Exodus? Yeah, well, they're going through scriptures in Exodus and two examples where, you know, God provides opportunities for the Israelites to covenant with him. And he provides two distinctions that I had never thought about. And I just, I want to talk about it. So maybe, maybe it's, it's good if we listen to it first. The, uh, their role in that hierarchy, right? right? We'll get to that in a moment. There's one other thing here that's really fascinating. That's the distinction in Hebrew between the two commitments that the Jews make to uh, the Israelites make. Uh, to, to God here, right? So the first time in, um, in I believe it's uh, verse three, where he says, all that the Lord has spoken, we shall do, right? So they hear and then they say, we'll do it. The second time, which has become in the Jewish community, this is a, a very big thing, is the phrase, meaning we will do and we will hear. So what does that mean, right? Shouldn't you hear and then you'll do, right? If we're talking about consent of the governed, shouldn't you actually hear the terms of the contract before you buy into it? Instead, it's not said, right? We will do. And then so, subsequently we'll hear. And so I think the idea is that the Jews are now buying into not just the covenant that they've consented to, but into a system that is going to move beyond them. The, the system doesn't, what, what you consent to in life is not just the system that, that you hear about, right? None of us are born into the idea of a freely consenting people that kind of creates uh, a body politic is a, a Lockean myth. In reality, you're born into a system and that system pre-exists you and it's going to and it's going to bind you, even though you haven't fully agreed to be a part of all the subsequent changes to the system. And in so some that, ways, their 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 covenant is to God, not to the law, just on its own. So because they're putting, they're giving their covenant to God, they're willing to move. Right, well, you're going to command us in the future. We're going That's right, to do, exactly. Right? It's not just, it's not just right. They're buying into the system, right, which right. is actually really an important thing because I think so. The, the spirit as well as the law, right? right. And, and the tendency in, in modernity is you don't buy into the system, right? If you, if you don't like the system, you don't like the product of the system. You get to rebel against the system. But the idea is that systems exist as as homogenous wholes to a certain extent, and you get the good along with the bad. So whenever you commit to a system, you have to commit to the good as well as the bad of the system. You don't get to pick and choose. Fascinating, bro. And I had never, ever thought about that in my life. But like, I think he makes an important point that I want to talk about. Um, let's take a child being born in a certain family. We don't consent to being born. We don't get to choose. I mean, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> Some people believe that we choose a family, right? Right? In pre-mortal life. 
I don't know. We will at least forget about it immediately. So maybe we did, maybe we didn't. That's interesting. I didn't <laughs> really thought about that. Okay. But for the most part, okay, let's let's put society. All right. You're placed in society. Society has certain cultural norms and a system in place that you don't get to choose all the time. Mm-hmm. You can choose to rebel against that system, like he's saying, but what happens if you rebel against that system? Society corrects you. Yeah, exactly. Or you are outcasted. You Mm -hmm. go to jail, right? Like, you don't abide by the rules of the system, and you're a rebel, then you, like, it's like Survivor. You get kicked off the island, right? Like, that's just the, the world that we live in. So, like, this role of consent what what role does consent play in our making covenants with god and and the thing that came to mind as i was listening to this when he gave those two examples is there's there's the first time where they agree where the terms are laid out in front of them and they then they agree to abide by them and then once they abide by them the second time they don't need the terms in front of them they can just what what did you say do and then hear do and then listen or whatever it is so it's very interesting how how he puts that because like in my mind that almost seems to like outline how uh christianity is structured it's here are the terms of baptism do you want to be a part of the family of god or a a christian right like a, a follower of jesus christ a disciple Here's what he's like. Here's his nature. Here's everything that he did to you. Like, here, here are the terms. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you consent? Okay, great. Okay, make the covenant. You're baptized. Is that moment, are we consenting to be a part of a system that is much greater than us, and we no longer have consent? And the reason this is interesting to me is because in this particular instance, If God is an all-loving, merciful Father and has our best interests in mind all the time, does he, is it okay for us to trust him without giving or understanding everything up front? And and what my mind went to was Jesus talking about a little child. Be, therefore, like this this little child, right? Right. My son just trusts that I'm going to do everything for him that is good. Yeah. He doesn't even really have to give me his consent. He just knows that dad is good, that dad loves him, and he's going to have his best interests in mind. And so he does everything and just trusts me completely. Yeah. So in that sense, I wonder if God is asking us to be like little children in our giving up of consent and being a part of a greater system in this Christian uh, Christian tradition or you know system. Does that make sense yeah, what I'm saying? I, absolutely. Um, but with that said, you have to remember that the allegiance is to God. It's not to an organization. It's not to a man. An organization can play a role within that system. Yeah. Right. But like when I, when I make covenant with Jesus Christ and with God, I'm consenting to be a part of the family of God in my mind. Yeah. And so if the temple rituals and the temple covenants are covenants that God himself wants us to make. For whatever reason, then I have no problem going in on second thought without informed consent. I can trust that he's going to do everything for me that is right. Now, the real question is, are those things coming from God? And that's, that's what I think he leaves. He leaves it up to us to, dis, 
to distinguish between that and to decide, are these things good? Are they bringing us closer to Jesus? Are they bringing us closer to God? If they are, then I think that we can safely say, okay, they're of God, right? So what do you think about that? Yeah. I had never thought about this, by the way, until my drive no, home. It, it is interesting because I would guess that, <clears throat> contrary to what I said earlier, I would guess that if you told Luca, come here, we're going, we're going for a drive. And he said, okay, dad. It, it, might, it may mean more to you that he just said, okay. Then he said, why? Where are we going? What are we going to do? And then he said, yes, right? Like, yeah. you, you, it would mean something to well, you. Well, it makes my life easier. <laughs> That's for sure. But it also means that, like, he just trusts you. He trusts you. Like, he, he, like you say, he knows that he, he understands that you're going to do good things for him. My, my question is, like, it seems like there's these two types of, of, this two, these two types of obedience. My question is, like, when, when does God want us to employ which? Um, because there's also, I understand like being like a child, but I can't remember if it's uh, Peter who also said like, when I was a child, I, I acted like a child. Right. And I did things like a child, but then I, when I grew, I, I acted like a man. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just curious for your guys' thoughts. Like when, what types of things do you, do you think God expects us to be like a child and trust him, not care about the terms? And when do you think that it matters more to him that like, we understand how hard it's going to be? Because I also think there's value in that. Like, I think there's, like, getting onto the path of discipleship is, like, this seriously treacherous and uh, difficult road. It's not for the faint of heart. And there's something about that, like, if you're willing to get on that path and tread it, then, like, that's got to mean something to God, too. Well, hold on. I'm going to push back on you a little bit, actually, on the example that you gave about Luca asking a car ride. Mm -hmm. I would say, this is just me spitballing, if, if I came to Luca and I said, hey, let's go for a car ride, and Luca just said, okay, let's go, that's going to certainly make my mortal life easy. Like, as a mortal dad, it just makes my life easy. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to explain anything. I, it's just less words, okay? Yeah. If I were a god, all-knowing, mm -hmm. would it bug me if he asked, do you think, where we were going? What do you, what do you think? Would it, would it bug you? Like, is, is that a bad thing? How many times have you told him already? I mean, if we're talking about the virtue of patience, does that matter? Um, I think On God sometimes says, I think sometimes God says, I've spoken. You need to trust me. I think there are times where he, he will say that to me or to others. It's not a matter of impatience. It's just a matter of, are you listening? So yeah. them, them asking would be a sign to you that what? They're progressing, that they're thinking? Uh, well, I, I could, let, let me twist it for you. Let's just say that he asked, oh, cool, where, where are we going? That, to me, as a mortal father, would be like, oh, he's, he's interested. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we could twist it any which way. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, like, how God reacts. Like, because I, I actually don't think that there is a problem in asking about, like, I'm of the opinion that we should be seeking the truth. Even if we are not going to get the truth, we should constantly seek it. It's not an excuse. Yeah. And so if we have questions about a certain, like I, I, I will never like blind obedience to me uh, should never exist. I don't think it should ever exist. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think. So, so what did you feel like you gained from, because to me, maybe I'm just like misunderstanding, but it seems like there's an element of blind obedience here yeah. in the second, right? So how do you square that with how you feel about truth-seeking? Yeah, that's why I was asking you guys about, like, what role consent plays. Is it, like, blind, just, you're just giving up complete control and, like, you're consenting to everything because you trust God? Or, but there's also elements of blindness, right? Like, 
someone can be legally blind and still see shadows and silhouettes, right? And Alma talks about this, like when you're planting a seed, all you need to know is that it's good. And then you can continue to experiment on that seed, right? So like, is, is God going to punish the child that doesn't ask where we're going and just jumps in the car? No. Is God going to punish the child that asks several questions? What car are we taking? How fast are we going to be driving? I don't think he would. You know? Yeah. I mean, what elements do you guys think that blind faith plays? I mean, like, where... I don't think blind faith exists. Well, I agree. Like, blind faith. But that's kind, of the, that's kind of the attack that a lot of atheists have on believers. It's like, you guys are just blindly believing. Sheep. You're sheep. You're sheep. But, like, where is that? Like, I don't have. At least I might, but there's certainly blind spots. But, like, I, I don't believe things just blindly. I mean, I guess... There are some things that I just don't know, and maybe that could be blind faith, but that doesn't mean I haven't thought about it or I've tried to see, right? Like, I think that there's, I don't know, like, I, I guess that's my question is, do you think that there, what elements are blind faith for a lot of members? Well, I'll just, I'll just use Chris's example. So in Chris's example, if I were to be, if I were to take the stance that Ben Shapiro takes, and that when we consent to become a part of it, we don't even have to be consent, but when we become a part of a system, then we relieve some of our consent. So in, in your case, I would push back and say, well, I don't think you need to know everything. I think that yeah. you need to know a certain por portion, right? Or, or as much as you want to know, by the way, like, mm -hmm. I don't think you should go into a blind. I agree. But I also don't think that God will pun punish you if you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think that like having all the cards on the table, like, is not a necessary condition if you are choosing to like waive your consent because you are choosing to put your trust and love into an all loving and all knowing father. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's ironically, it always just comes back to this, right? Like mm -hmm. what is God? Who is God? And can you trust him? And yeah. do you love him? And is he real? And if so, I mean, you can start from there. That's a really good starting point. Right. Yeah. So like I said, I don't have my mind made up. I was just curious what you guys thought about that, well, given this example. Yeah, like, the, what's curious, too, that I just thought of is, like, who's to say that God's going to answer? You know, like, what if Luca asks you questions um, and you just don't respond? That's how I've felt a lot in my life when I feel like I've looked for answers, right? Like, I feel like there's no there's no immediate response. I, that doesn't mean that it's not right for me to keep asking questions. But sometimes God's answer is silence. Um and I've, I kind of have felt that, I felt similarly, like, with the experience with the temple. It, it almost felt godlike in, like, it's, I couldn't know, right, what was beyond. I had to take to some sort of, like, leap of faith. And I've thought about it a lot. Like, is is that why the church does it that way? Like, is there some sort of, like, doc, doctrinal reason that I can't, am I supposed to obey and then know? And do I disagree with that or do I, do I agree with it? So it's like, I don't know, there's this notion also of, like, we can ask, but uh, maybe maybe God doesn't answer us at all, or he, or he withholds his answer. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you listen to a little bit more of this podcast, yeah. but they continue to like touch on this principle with like modern quotes or sayings that we use. Like, what was one of them? Like, you you become what you what you do over and over again. Some some like that, and they talk about the principle of faith. And I think faith is such an interesting concept. We could spend hours talking about it. But in order to act, Joseph Smith says you must believe that something is going to happen. Otherwise, there would be no purpose for your action. Right? Mm -hmm. Sure. 
Maybe. I don't know if we said that, but I no, in the lecture in the lectures of faith. Okay. Have you read the lectures on faith? I mean, I have, but it's been the the it's, that's not word for word, but yeah. there there has to be some sort of belief leading you to action. Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't act. Yes. So the principle of faith relies on that. So that there has to be an element of knowledge. Like when you're playing, like going back to Alma, like the more I think about these things, the more I realize like how nuanced and how brilliant Alma 32 is. Like it is yeah. a brilliant chapter, mm -hmm. but you have to know like a certain amount to be able to ex act on like yeah, you got to you got to plant the seed, right? Yeah. Why would you ever plant a seed if you didn't think it was going to sprout? Right. Right. Or yeah. didn't believe or think that maybe that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. And so this concept of blind faith, it doesn't doesn't like blind denotes that you don't know. Right. And I think you have to know, yeah. you have to use reason, you have to use your faculties to get some sense to be able to make that first action. Then once you make that first action, then you can like know more. Okay. Yeah. Now did the seed grow? Okay, yeah. it grew. It's good. I'm gonna continue to do this, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they, they talk about, and that's what I was going to bring up, so that's pretty cool. Um, that faith, so the whole, what Ben was talking about, is predicated on the belief that God has already acted before, right? So they had just been relieved from uh, bondage in mm. Egypt, and all these miracles had happened, and they had just been delivered in the Red Sea, right? Like, mm. And so God had already delivered promises, and so... That's why Ben was saying, like, uh, we heard the contract and we agree. And because you've delivered, we will agree and then hear the contract. Because we know more because about you and we trust you. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the reason why God asks us to remember all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, that's literally the end of the Book of Mormon is Moroni's invitation is remember how merciful the Lord has been from Adam to Nephi to, to me, basically. And that is what strengthens your faith right mm -hmm. and so like i do think that you're right like i think almost all faith is predicated on the notion that it's built upon something already right or the belief that it's happened already to somebody else some degree of quote unquote mm -hmm. what we would call knowledge right and so but then comes but the question knowing all things yeah and then comes the questions of like well is that knowledge or that belief founded in true principles or true like truth, right? Like mm -hmm. some people can just be totally misguided or think that it's something, but it's actually not. So there is nuance to it, but I do think that you're right. Like that all real faith is predicated upon some resultant of prior action before. Right? Yeah, or belief. So, or belief before. So. Yeah, man. Um, I'd say that's where the temple and the baptism, I think that was a really great analogy down. It's like baptism, we've committed to the society and, and we've committed it to Christ, right? I would say though that the body of Christ is the society to which we've covenanted to be a part of. Right? Yeah, and and dude, ninety percent of our listeners are going to equate that with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. But it could be, you know, all saints, right? But exactly. Yeah. Like I, I just want, I just want, I am always wanting to make it very <laughs> clear that we are talking about a relationship between me and God. Yeah. The church can play a role in that, but I am not talking about me and the church. They are not one and the same. Yeah. It's and, and so many people are going to equate our conversations like that. And I just want to be clear about that. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Have we reached our limit? Our mental capacities? I can keep going. It's early for us. Yeah. Probably a good stopping point. Um, 
this was a good conversation. I learned more in this conversation than I've had in our last conversations for sure. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Chris, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Do you have any closing thoughts or no? No, this, this was this was a great testimony. This was, this was an interesting exercise for sure. I I, I enjoyed this discussion. Yeah. Cool, cool. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. It's really hoping you figure your test. Thank you.